welcome to those of you in the room, those of you listening online to our podcast. Um, it's always great to start a ministry here because there's just always so many things happening, uh, and uh, especially with the school year happening and around here, um, there we go, around here our uh, ministries all start and it's just a, like the starting line, so uh, it's, it's going to be an amazing, amazing year. Um, so it is the start of school. And I want you to think back to when you started school or that transition from summer into the school year. How many of you remember being excited for the start of school at the end of summer? Okay, that more than I thought. I was actually one of those people. I really enjoyed going back to school. And the reason was is because I grew up in the, uh, the small town at that time of Grand Forks, North Dakota. NDSU, woo, no. UND, yes, whatever, Fighting Sioux, yeah. Anyway, so Grand Forks, North Dakota, and it was a small town, and it felt like a small town uh, because there's no fences, and we literally, uh, it was like the, the movie The Sandlot. We, all of us boys would get together, and we lived right across the street from this park that had a baseball field, and we would just spend the whole summers playing and, and going late at night and the whole bit. And so when school started, we just took the party inside. I mean, we just, it was because we were all together. We, we played with our friends during the, school, during the summer, and we just played with our friends, you know, during the school year. So it was, wasn't really any different. Um, and there were a couple of things that I really liked about school, going back to school. One of them was the food. Believe it or not, I loved the cafeteria. The, I loved the school food, um, especially Friday pizza days. You know, and I don't know if it's different now, but back then it was like real pizza. Like people actually made it with their hands. And it was just so great. That and, and that canned fruit cocktail that you'd get in the other compartment. Loved that. And then on the, all the other days, my mom actually made me lunches, which my mom's amazing. So I just, I just loved the food. The other thing I do I remember about liking about going back to school was actually the schoolwork. I actually enjoyed getting things done, learning new things, and going through, and, and, and uh, specifically history. I love history and old stories of, from the past. Um, and I don't remember the specifics, but I loved, rem I, I loved um, kind of the schedule of it all, because after school, all of the parents had the same um, schedule for all of us kids. So we knew that if I'm inside doing something, you know, with school at home, the other kids were as well. So basically, the, we would all come home from school. Our parents would have a snack ready. We'd watch Gilligan's Island from 3.30 to 4. Every, we all did. That's when it was on. Remember Gilligan's Island? Oh, yes. Gilligan's Island. And then we spent um, homework, depending on how much we had. Now, our homework back then is different from the homework the kids are assigned today. Back then, there's a, there's kind of, there's a rule called the rule of 10. And if you're a teacher, you may know this, that for every grade starting at grade one, not kindergarten, but starting at grade one, that student uh, should be have homework a maximum of 10 minutes. Okay, so do the math. First grade, 10 minutes. Second grade, 20 minutes a night. I look at our students now, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. And, I, and it's not the teacher's fault. It's just all of everything's kind of changed, and there's so much homework that you guys have to do. In, in fact, some, some of you parents are like, I might as well just homeschool my kids because I'm spending eight hours a night, you know, helping them with homework. But I liked getting that done. And as I got older and older um, in, in high school and college, 
I just, I'd like to pick the ear, like music and those kinds of things. I, was, I wasn't a great student, actually. I was kind of a C-ish, B-ish student. Um, then uh, I went, uh, went to the seminary, and right when I was going into the seminary and, and I got my first kind of grade report, I realized that I was getting straight A's in the seminary. Tons more work, harder concepts and, and thought process. But the reason is because I was passionate about what I was learning. I loved the, the history of the, the Christian church. I loved the history of the Christian faith. The, the love of theology and learning the language. It was just amazing to me because I had a passion for it. When you f- and isn't it true? When you find something that you're interested and passionate about, you want to learn more and more and more about it. You yearn to learn more about it. And maybe for you, for some reason, if, if you're feeling like your life is just kind of boring right now, maybe it's because you're not learning anything. Maybe, it, and, and it doesn't have to be your work related. Many of you have hobbies outside of work, and you're learning, you're like, oh, I'm, I, you know, here, I, I'm in IT, but gardening is awesome. I love it. And so I'm learning more and more about horticulture and flowers and plants and those kinds of things. You know, so it might be different, but maybe you're, maybe if you're feeling like your life isn't going anywhere, maybe God has something new for you to learn. That's why growth groups are so important. Our small group ministry, our growth groups that we're starting up in a couple of weeks, because it's learning more together with other people. It's conversing and talking, and it's and uh, around subjects that are pa- are passion areas for uh, many of us and most of you uh, in the room. Um, actually, our Bible story, looking at Jesus today, our story actually puts Jesus in a growth group. So we're going to take a look at, at him and how he learned and what that, the whole situation was. Luke 2, starting in verse 41, uh, is where we are. And again, we have a, if you're new to our church, we have a church app that you can download, um, or you can go to YouVersion or many of the other Bible apps and just follow along as we, I have the verses on the screen, but you can follow along and, and read some other things around it as we're going through the text. Um, but this, this passage is really an interesting passage from Jesus' perspective, or actually the, from the people around him, uh, because it makes Jesus look like he's really not a good kid. So here we go. Here's the story. Um, every year, Luke 2, every year Jesus' parents, did you know Jesus had parents? Yeah, he had parents. Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Now, from where he grew up in Nazareth to Jerusalem was 90 miles. So that's like, and they didn't have cars or Uber. So they had to walk this 90 miles. That's like going from here to Wyzetta and all the way back. That's about 90 miles. And I know it's long for us even driving, but that's what they would do. That was a big, big deal. It'd take about three to four days um, if you're doing, no, it's longer than that. I mean, it was a long journey. So when Jesus was 12 years old, he was invited to come with. So uh, you, could, you didn't go to Jerusalem for the Passover until you were 12 years old. And in fact, every male Jewish person within 15 miles was required to go. But it was the hope of every Jewish person that they at one time in their life would celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. In fact, in the Seder meal, if you've gone through our, the Seder meal, the, which is the Passover meal, the very, one of the very last things we say is, next year in Jerusalem. That's always the hope of every Jewish person around the world, even today. Um, and so Jesus lear- yearned to learn and now was granted access to the Torah 
there's, there's this massive library of books, the commentaries, the teaching of the elders. It was like going to the state fair for the first time. You remember that? Walking through those gates and you're like, whoa! In fact, well, not this year, but last year, I remember walking behind a dad and, and his, his son, and they walked through the gate, and the son, he was probably about eight years old, just stopped, and he just almost fell to his knees, and I, I heard him say, this is the best day of my life. <laughs> but that's what it was like for a, a Jewish boy, especially, um, because that, that was like the Disneyland. That was the one thing that they looked forward to their whole life, was to go to the big city, the huge city of Jerusalem. So they head off. Jesus was 12 years old. He goes there. And then after the celebration was over, the Passover celebration, they started home back to Nazareth, started that 90-mile trek. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among other travelers. They traveled in big groups of people. Okay, It wasn't as if there were just like five of them or six of them together. It was large groups of people that would travel these long distances. And it wasn't par- so it wasn't carelessness that Mary and Joseph couldn't find him. Usually the women started off earlier because they were in charge of carrying everything. The guy, we didn't, guys back then in that culture didn't do it. It was the women carrying everything for the family, carrying the kids. And so they started off about noontime, and the men started much later and caught up with them. And then the idea was that they would meet at a designated place to camp out for the night and then continue uh, the journey. And so it was Jesus' first Passover, um, and no doubt Joseph thought that Jesus was, was with Mary ahead in the group. And no doubt that Mary thought, well, Jesus must have hung out back with Joseph back in Jerusalem. So they get to the first meeting place. So they didn't go the whole 90 miles. It was the first night after they left uh, Jerusalem. And when they, uh, the text says, but when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among the relatives and friends. Like your car keys, how many of you have ever lost your bits before? You know that feeling. In fact, maybe some that that panicked feeling that I've, my, I, where is my child, especially if they're younger. I've told this story before, but one time when when our son Nathan was he was about five or six years old and he was in kindergarten, and uh, we were both doing something together, um, and we we're Kelly and I were leaving this event because we knew that Nathan was going to get off the bus from school from kindergarten. So as we were getting in the car, and I'm going to claim it, she probably said, why don't you go ahead and go home and meet Nathan? I didn't hear that. I was assuming Kelly was going home to meet Nathan, and I was going I was going to run a couple of errands. So we both go from our event to do different things, and we, we both, we get back, and Nathan, we, we were like, where's Nathan? I thought you had him. I thought you had him. And he had been dropped off in front of our, our condo at that point. And that panicked feeling, oh, my goodness, where is our son Nathan? Luckily, Kelly was wise enough to say to the kids, if you ever get here and, and you can't get in, go to our neighbor. So we ran around and everything was fine. Um, I'm still a little scarred. Um, but it's that panicked feeling that you get. In fact, when they couldn't find Jesus, they went back to Jerusalem. So they spent a good 10, 15, whatever, however long they could travel in a day had to go all the way back to Jerusalem to search for him there. What do you think the conversation was like? 
But we're not going to spend a whole other day. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple. So they get back to Jerusalem. They discover him in the temple, and he's sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them, uh, listening to them and asking them questions. So the religious leaders, the Sadducees, would sit around in the courtyard and talk about theology. And people would have this conversation back and forth because it wasn't a sermon. They didn't stand up like I am here and just giving a sermon where there's no feedback back and forth. They were asking questions. Everybody was. And um, you don't think that this was a scene where Jesus was standing, standing up as a 12-year-old dominating the elders. That, never, that didn't happen. But he was answering and hearing and asking tons and tons of questions. And you have students like that if you're a teacher. You get that one student who is really interested in what you're talking about. I know it's like the one student if you're a teacher, right? Um, so he was there. He was asking all these questions, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. He's kind of like a middle school child who is discussing physics with the rocket scientist. And if you are a teacher, over the years, you probably can identify a couple of those kids that it's like, man, th- it's like an 80-year-old and a 12-year-old body kind of thing, deep deep you can just tell the wisdom coming from that student his jesus's parents though as we continue the story they weren't so amazed because the story keeps going his parents didn't know what to think after they find him they pull him aside they say son his mother said to him why have you done this to us your father and i have been frantic searching for you everywhere in jerusalem searching and searching where were you we couldn't find you and then we get the first recorded words of jesus our savior this is the first thing that he says at age 12 he says this but why did you need to search he asked didn't you know that i must be in my father's house but they didn't understand what he meant so here's what this means The original language, the way this phrasing is in the original language, assumes that this conversation about Jesus being the Son of God has already been happening in the household. So at some point before this, before age 12, Jesus became, came into the understanding that not that he was just different, but that he was the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He's 12 years old. He's still putting it all together. But there was a, there's an assumption that Mary and Joseph and the family were already talking about this. And so for Jesus, it's like, why don't you understand it? Understanding is just taking two concepts and putting them together, right? That's the core of learning anything. You take this concept and this concept, and you put them together and make a connection. And you take this, these two concepts and another group, and it just is all, that's how learning actually happens. And that's why we can learn more and more. It's just grouping things together. They didn't put together the conversations they had about him being fulfilling prophecies, you know, 39 prophecies just on his birth alone. And him being in my father's house. So after that little conversation, they returned back to Nazareth. uh, He returned back to Nazareth with them and was obedient to his parents. It wasn't that he wasn't obedient when he sinned. But the text said, Luke makes sure that that we know he was an obedient parent. To, his, to them, and his mother stored all these things in her heart. Where have you heard that before? At his, at his announcement, the angel comes to Mary and says, hey, you're going to be 
you're going to be the, the mother of, the, son of the, the Savior of the world. And she pondered all these things. She stored those things in her heart. It doesn't say anything about what Joseph said. And it's so funny because moms are like, I wonder what this means. Dads are like, little dude, good to have you back in the family. All right, you know, I'm kind of oblivious. But Mary is thoughtful. So why would Luke make sense, uh, make sure that you and I understood that Jesus was obedient to his parents? Because even the perfect son of God, even the perfect son of his heavenly father was the perfect son to his earthly mother. And mark this, um, it did not make him proud. He was their savior. This 12-year-old boy was the savior of his parents and his family, but he never lorded it over him, over them. Pride never entered into the picture. He loved them as they loved him. And then the final thing is Jesus grew then. Interesting, he's the son of God, but yet because of his human nature, he grew, he learned. He grew in the knowledge and wisdom and in stature, meaning maturity, and in the favor, the grace uh, with God and all the people. The good pleasure of God was on display. So here Jesus is who he says he is, just even at 12 years old, and doing the things that Jesus does, at age, er, uh, that, the, that uh, God does, even at the age of 12 years old, growing, yearning to learn, yearning to be with other people to learn. So um, in closing up, just two things as sort of application. You know, this is kind of like, wow, that's very interesting, but so what? So here's what, as we go into a new ministry year and as we start stepping in, taking steps into um, this year, a couple of things just to encourage you in. First one is this, yearn to learn. Yearn to learn. What are you learning right now? Yearn to learn. Take the example of 12-year-old Jesus who kind of knew he was God, but he was still figuring it out. In fact, Psalm 1 says this, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow in the advice of the wicked or stand around uh, with sinners or join in with mockers. They delight in the teaching and the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. And because this person does that, because this person is in the word, meditating, thinking, processing, asking questions, being with other people asking questions, because of that, they're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season, good season and bad. Their leaves never, never wither, and they prosper in all they do. For me, I love learning. I love learning new stuff. In fact, part of my potential sinful personality is wanting more and more and more ideas, more stuff. In fact, I just picked up this little ditty. <laughs> I've never read a book this thick except in seminary. It's called Decision Making in the Will of God. Because I want to know, how, how does, how, what's godly decision making? How can I make a decision? If God already knows what decision I'm going to make, what does that look like? How does he influence that decision? Does he influence that decision? So I just started this one, and it's going to take me probably all year to finish. But this is, this is for me, the yearning to learn more and more about God and how he interacts with the world. And those of you who know me, I love business stuff too, um, uh, personal development, personality styles. I read all that stuff too, and I'm learning in all those areas as well. Um, so yearn to learn, be like Jesus. And then the second thing is this, engage in a, gr a growth group. Engage in a growth group. If you're not in a smaller group of people learning about what who God is and what he's done, 
you're not learning. If you've gone through confirmation through eighth grade and haven't done anything since other than come to church, awesome, you have an eighth grade faith. Keep learning. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. We provide opportunities here at church for you to continue to learn. It's so important. And it isn't just book knowledge. It's so what does this mean for me tomorrow when I have to deal with a boss who I can't stand? What does this mean for me tomorrow when I have to deal with my kids who are driving me crazy? God answers all of that. And the growth group is one of those awesome environments where you can do that. Uh, as you came in, there's tables right there. If you haven't signed up, you can just sign up. Scooter will be out there and you can talk to him about this. And this isn't a sermon to get you to sign up for gro growth groups. But growth groups are a perfect way to do all this Jesus stuff that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. So I want to end with this. God wants to meet you every moment of every day. God wants to meet you, walk with you every moment of every day. And the beauty of the gospel is he's already doing that. More so, are we recognizing his presence in our lives? And if we are, are we yearning to learn, what does that mean for me today? What am I learning more, or what am I learning about the Lord? Yearning to learn, connecting with other people is the secret sauce of growing this group. It just is. So as we close the, the message today, be like Jesus. Grow in wisdom. Grow in the goodness, the grace of knowing who Jesus is, who Jesus is, who God is in our world today. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Lord, thank you for this time, um, this service that was um, filled with a lot of stuff. But it's always great to get together with the body of uh, believers, brothers and sisters, God, who Jesus calls. And Father, thank you for this example of Jesus who yearns to learn and, and who is obedient to his parents and um, even just him already knowing that he is the son of God. For those of us, God, who are still trying to figure all that out, who is this Jesus? Uh, help them, impress upon them, God, that it's just simply this, that while we were sinners, Jesus came to die and rise for us so that we can be in an eternal relationship with you. Father, thank you for that grace that you give to us. It's in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. Now let's have our two hands out to receive the blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with his favor. May he grant you his peace now and forever. Amen. Have a great week.